International Diplomatic Student Association is Hungary-based student organization for university students interested in political science, multilateral treaties, and intergovernmental relations. IDSA Podcast aims to educate its listeners on career opportunities to university students in Hungary, opening their minds to pressing social and geopolitical issues. The podcast is recorded with the support of Epper Radio. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the IDSA podcast, an exclusive project launched by the International Diplomatic Student Association. My name is Paolo, my co-host is Simon, and today we have the great privilege to talk to Miss Barbara Kovacs. Miss Kovacs is head of the Unit for International Climate Policy from the Ministry of Innovation and Technology. Miss Kovacs, thank you so much for making the time and agreeing to talk to us today. I believe that the best place to begin today is by asking you to tell us a little bit more about your own background in the field of international climate policy and about what it is that has sparked your interest in this field. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Thank you very much and thanks a lot for uh, the invitation. It's a great uh, pleasure and honor for me as well to be here with you. I actually come from a social scientist uh, background. I graduated from the Corvinus University of Budapest and uh, University of Szeged as an international relations expert specialized in diplomacy, just like your association. So it's, it's great to be here. Uh, well, my first internships uh, focused um, on bilateral diplomacy, actually. And uh, yeah, I was dealing with Romanian-Hungarian relations in the uh, uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and also at uh, Foreign Affairs News Portal. However, due to my ongoing studies and other experiences as a trainee, my interest slowly began to turn to multilateral diplomacy. Uh, my graduation year 2015 was quite determinative from this respect. I had a chance to work with uh, the Hungarian delegation as a trainee, both at the General Assembly of the UNESCO and the uh, 21st, uh, 21st Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, in short, the UNFCCC. We will talk a lot <laughs> about this convention in, in this podcast, I guess. Uh, so yeah, in short, this was COP21 climate conference where the Paris Agreement was uh, adopted. And uh, in a nutshell, my interest in climate policy was originally coming from my general interest and enthusiasm towards uh, multilateral diplomacy and uh, international cooperation. Of course, in the past uh, seven years spent in climate policy, I had a chance to explore all other aspects like scientific, economic, legal, also project-based aspects of climate policy, but this was the beginning. And speaking about the Ministry for Innovation and Technology, can you tell us how you ended up working for the institution and what your everyday work at the ministry entails? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, in my last uh, academic year, at uh, Carvinus, I applied for a scholarship uh, program, actually. It was the Hungarian Public Administration Scholarship uh, Program, in short, the 
MK program, and I got selected by the organizers. In this program, the scholars can name their interests and uh, preferences, but <laughs> at the end of the day, the departments of the ministries are the ones who select the candidates based on their qualifications and previous experiences. And uh, I simply got selected by the Climate Policy Department. So therefore, we can say that my first encounter with the climate policy was uh, partly based on, on luck. <laughs> but um, however, of course, staying and growing in this field was uh, also my choice and my bosses. Well, our everyday work at the Climate Policy Department of the Ministry is uh, basically well, it's based on the three main levels of planning and implementation of uh, climate policy. Uh, these are the domestic, the EU, and the international climate policy tasks. Well, in our domestic roles, we are mainly coordinating the technical preparation, the updating, and uh, the monitoring of national climate change strategies, action plans, and basically the climate legislation. We are also co-financing domestic climate projects and implementing as well those projects that require governmental coordination. In our EU role, EU climate policy tasks, we represent the Hungarian position and interests uh, at the different climate-related working groups of the European Commission and the Council. Furthermore, we also act as national contact points to the major EU climate funds and programs, such as the LIFE program for environment and climate, the Innovation Fund and the Modernization Fund. And it is a very important role because in this respect, we try to help and support the Hungarian applicants to have as much um, EU-funded climate and other green programs in the country as, as possible. We also cooperate with other departments of the ministry in, in planning the climate uh, aspects and climate project of the operational programs because it's, it's still the largest source of funding within the EU. So that's also an important task. Well, and last but not least, we have our tasks in the international climate policy. I have the largest share in this, of course, as, as my title refers to it. Well, in this respect, we represent the Hungarian position and interest in the relevant international organizations, such as the United Nations, the OECD, and also some climate finance-based institutions, such as the Green Climate Fund and the Global Green Growth Institute. We also co-finance international climate projects in the developing countries as well. We used to do that uh, on a bilateral way or through support to multilateral institutions such as the GCF already mentioned. But uh, since uh, 2020, we do that via our, our climate financing background institution, which is dedicated for climate finance. And this is the Western Balkans Green Center. So, yeah, basically these are main tasks, but uh, <laughs> many ad hoc other tasks occur every day, of course. <laughs> I hope that gave uh, you a kind of a picture, the ministerial work. <laughs> Hungary is among the most effective environmental protectionists in Europe and will be fulfilling its undertakings with relation to pollutant emissions. Minister for Innovation and Technology, Laszlo Palkowicz, said at the Climate Summit Conference in Budapest.
Can you share with our listeners a bit more about your ministry's undertakings and goals with relation to pollutant emission and environmental protection as a whole? Yeah, sure. It's it's really important. Uh, firstly, it's it's important to make it clear that uh, pollutant emissions is a quite a wide category, and out of these, uh, climate policy uh, aims to address the challenges caused by the so-called uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So. Our targets primarily focus on GHGs, the greenhouse gases. We have long-term, mid-term, and and also some short-term targets. Let's start with long-term. Our long-term objective, in line with the aim of the EU, is to achieve climate neutrality also on EU and on national level by 2050. Climate neutrality means net zero GHG emissions, which is the balance of GHG emissions and removals. This means that the goal is to reduce GHG emissions by 95% until 2050, and the remaining 5% will be neutralized by the development of the absorption capacities, so with the increasing of the forest uh, stock of the country. We have our midterm climate target. This is to reduce the GHG emissions by 40% until 2030, compared to 1990 levels. In line with this, we also aim to achieve a minimum share of 21% of the renewable energy sources in the gross final energy consumption by the same target year, 2030. And furthermore, after this uh, year, if the increase in final energy consumption exceeds the 2005 uh, value, then the increase can only be provided from a carbon neutral energy sources. So, yeah, from this also, you can see that climate and energy planning is, is very much a synergic area. It's very important to, to work together. Well, our results achieved so far are, are rather promising, we can say, because we have managed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 34% by 2020, because the national inventory reports are, are always uh, prepared for like in this year, we could produce the reports for 2020 in a two years row. Yeah. So it's remarkable at the same time that uh, Hungary managed to come very close already to its midterm target and also able to increase its economic output, the GDP at the same time. So that's something we are already proud of. But of course, there's uh, still a lot to do. It's not that Paolo mentioned these, uh, the topic, and also you answer that how the results you guys have already brought about. But my question is that in the future, along the way, how is your uh, institution and ministry plan to achieve more undertakings apart from these, which are regarded by many as quite and even too ambitious? Yes, our targets are ambitious, but uh, by no means uh, too ambitious. I would call because, um, as as you might have heard already, and I think we'll maybe talk about it, according to the latest uh, scientific report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, in brief, the IPCC, while this report says that we have to achieve net zero carbon dioxide emissions by the early 2050s, so, and that's on global levels, so we kind of really, really have to act uh, now. 
and also on, on national levels. Well, therefore, our national targets are absolutely necessary in, in order to meet the EU and also the global level climate goals. While the achievement of the targets would be guaranteed by the implementation of our national climate change strategies and action plans, and uh, I just mentioned a few of them, the most important action plan on a political level is the Climate and Environmental Protection Action Plan, which is announced by our Prime Minister himself in February 2020. It basically includes eight specific action points with the goal to protect our climate and preserve our nature resources, such as the elimination of illegal waste disposal sites, the prohibition of the distribution of disposable plastics, the protection of our rivers from the waste coming from abroad, the support of environmentally friendly uh, transformation of multinational companies, um, the increasing of uh, forest coverage, multiplying the capacity of solar power plants by six times by 2030, supporting the use of low-cost electric cars and buses, and also the introduction of green uh, government bonds. So, but yeah, that's a high-level action plan. We also have our technical, more uh, like scientific-based strategies, and uh, those are also uh, very important because these set the basis for implementation well, in the midterm, the most important strategic document on technical level is the second national climate th- uh, change strategy adopted in 2018 by the parliament. And it refers to the period between 2018 and 2030 with an outlook to even 2050. The three pillars of this strategy represent well the main lines of action in climate policy. But firstly, it contains a roadmap for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. That's the national decarbonization roadmap. Also, secondly, a planning for the country-specific adaptation to the already existing effects of climate change. That's the national adaptation strategy. And thirdly, it has an awareness-raising action plan. This strategy is implemented through short-term three-year climate change action plans. The first action plan is already implemented, and the second action plan is currently under governmental approval. So this is for the mid-term and the short-term goals. And uh, for the long-term, we have a strategic document, the National Clean Development Strategy, and this sets the goal of reaching climate uh, neutrality by examining different uh, scenarios as well. Furthermore, apart from the strategies, it's very important to see that Hungary is among the first member states of the EU and among the first countries in global level as well that have enshrined national emission reduction goals also in law as well. This is the Climate Protection Act, which was adopted in June 2020, and this also sets our medium-term and long-term emission reduction targets and goals. So basically through legislation, strategies and and action plans, we we hope we can manage to achieve these targets. Now let's put a bit more focus to your area of expertise, international climate policy. What do you think about COP26, the most recent annual UN climate change convention? As for you, were the negotiations a success or a failure? 
Thank you. <laughs> really nice question. Well, a brief clarification uh, to the audience. Uh, the Conference of the Parties, in short, the, the COP, is the annual International Climate Change uh, Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on, on Climate Change. In brief, that's the ENFCCC. Uh, that's how I will refer to it. Well, in 2020, the 26th conference was postponed due to the COVID pandemic. Therefore, in 2021, uh, COP26 uh, was surrounded with uh, quite huge <laughs> expectations. Well, I think a lot was achieved uh, through these uh, two weeks long uh, negotiating sessions and the Glasgow Climate Pact, which was adopted finally, it can be a necessary tool to keep the 1.5 goal alive and, and to achieve all other goals under the Paris Agreement. Uh, what I think are the most important uh, results of the COP26, well, firstly, and the most important in my point of view is the finalization of the rulebook for implementing the Paris Agreement because it, it happened after six years of negotiations, which is a lot. <laughs> and uh, the most problematic questions were closed, such as the rules for the international carbon markets mechanism, which is quite a challenging compromise. Also, what I think is very important that uh, Glasgow established work program for defining the global goal on adaptation. And, and that's also a very important aspect because since Paris, we had this global goal for climate change mitigation and everyone knows that 1.5, 1.5, it's all you can hear from the news. But we still know that adaptation is very, very important. We have to deal with it because there are effects of climate change that just won't pass away. They will stay here with us and then we have to adapt. But what is the global goal on adaptation? So now on, it will be defined. I think it's, it's a great result. Well, also, it was a commitment achieved of doubling finance for climate change adaptation until 2025 compared to the 2019 levels, which is also uh, essential. Another work program was established on, well, providing finance to tackle uh, the losses and damages caused by climate change. That is also a huge uh, step ahead. And for the first time in history, a COP decision contains a reference to the phase down of unabated coal power and phase out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. That's also quite a nice uh, result. If, we, if you ask my personal opinion, I think from climate financing aspects, the parties maybe couldn't achieve all that they wanted before the COP because because still it it yeah the cover decision states that we couldn't achieve the 100 billion per year uh, climate financing for the developing country parties but basically the practical solutions well yes we we will have to find them in the upcoming COPs and that will be very very important. It's important to see that, that uh, this COP is, is uh, much more about than only the COP decisions and only the official negotiations. Apart from these, these outcomes, uh, several initiatives were launched before and during the COP26. And uh, these also aim to tackle climate change. And those are through different sectoral approaches. Well, we as Hungary also joined some of these, such as the... Glasgow Declaration on Forests and Land Use and um, 
Transport Decarbonization Alliance and Global Call to Clean Power Statement. And also apart from the decisions, these these initiatives, it's very important to see that before the COPs parties raised their ambition and, and those were represented in their nationally determined contributions. Those are something like midterm strategies and also in their long-term strategies. Many of these were revised and often with, with higher ambitions. And uh, according to the independent experts of the Climate Action Tracker, full implementation of these revised national commitments and the new initiatives uh, can lead us to keep the global average temperature rises below 1.8 degrees. But of course, 1.8 is not 1.5, so we still have work to do. Many say that one of the most important advances made at the COP26 was the mention of fossil fuels in coal. Parties are called upon to accelerate efforts to phase out unabated coal power and phase out insufficient fossil fuel subsidies. What do you think about this part of the pact and what are your comments on Hungary commitments to with regard to fossil fuels and coal? Yeah, I had a, just a little mentioning on this in, in the previous uh, point. Uh, yeah, we, we find this also uh, an important advancement in the history of COPs. Of course, we Hungarians, as part of the very ambitious EU negotiation team, we would have preferred an even more ambitious text uh, in this regard, namely the phase-out of unabated coal power which was actually originally drafted in the text. However, this original text was changed at the very last minute of the COP26 by India and China, as you uh, might know. Well, nevertheless, uh, this reference, uh, even this way, I think was a historic step towards achieving our, our climate goals. And, and that is also well represented by the thing that in, in the COP26, in the closing plenary of COP26, it was quite a dramatic moment, this, this mentioning of the fossil fuels and, and all this debate. I remember Franz Timmermans on, on the part of the EU saying that, hey, the European Union was built on coal and now maybe it can die because of coal. Oh, my God. So there were very, very remarkable interventions from all parties and it was very much in the center of, of attention. And COP26 president Alok Sharma, on, on uh, behalf of the British presidency, was, well, quite in a delusion <laughs> and, and uh, he was really really begging for sorry, but at the same time, he got a giant applause for this because uh, I think there was a momentum in the room that time because uh, delegations felt something uh, historic happened even this way uh, because it was really the first time that it was even mentioned in, in, a, in a COP decision. So uh, we hope it will be the, the beginning of something uh, very nice and ambitious and towards the 1.5 goal <laughs> achievement. 
Yeah, and furthermore, it's it's also important to see also in this respect that apart from the COP decisions, many countries like uh, also Hungary joined declarations on sectoral pledges dealing with coal and fossil fuels, like this uh, global call to clean a power transition statement we, we mentioned already. Well, on national level, Hungary is committed to phase out uh, coal-fired electricity production by 2030, the latest. But if we have the necessary funding, uh, then this can happen even before, even by 2026. Regarding this, we have a strategic project also in our ministry, coordinated by our ministry. We have a nine-year-long project. It's uh, Life IP North Hungary in transition project we in a 22 party consortium we aim to ensure the successful implementation of our national energy and climate plan with a very special emphasis on the sustainable and just transition of Hungary's uh, single largest coal uh, region which is located in in north hungary well just transition will be a crucial expression of upcoming decade as we see Well, it means that the climate-friendly transformation of the most vulnerable sectors, such as coal mining, lignite mining in our case, will be implemented with parallel efforts towards job preservation and uh, the mentoring and supporting of the affected companies. Uh, Well, this project, Interalia, (laughs) prepares and implements decarbonization roadmap for the last remaining uh, lignite-fired power plant, the Matra power plant, tests uh, innovative prototypes for renewable energy production and storage in the post-mining sites instead of lignite burning, and uh, also establishes and maintains the first national coal commission in the country with the aim of mainstreaming the opinion of all relevant stakeholders in the procedure of coal phase-out, provides planning and implementation for recultivation of the mining sites, addressing the challenge of energy poverty, and promotes green mobility solutions in the region. So we have a little national um, project just started on this field as well. I'm glad you mentioned the COP26 presidency in your previous answer, because this question has something to do with him. Uh, According to the COP26 presidency, while Paris promised, Glasgow must deliver. In your opinion, how much is Glasgow going to deliver on international climate protection? Yeah, I, I remember this, this speech uh, of, of Alex Sharma. It was in October 2021 during a, a speech in uh, UNESCO. Luckily, since then, we know that uh, Glasgow did deliver. Is it true that the Glasgow Climate Pact could have even more ambitious and, and there's always a room for more ambition? However, it, it represents a huge step forward in in, in many aspects, just mentioned before in the previous points. So what we see that it will be now very crucial to implement and to follow up on the implementation of the COP decisions, the sectoral pledges and the initiatives, uh, national contributions and the long-term strategies as well. I would also align the attention a little bit on the private sector because what we saw at COP26 is that 
apart from the parties, the governments, the private uh, sector has, has really started to shift towards climate action. And uh, is especially, yeah, it was very visible in, in COP26. And the contribution of the private sector to climate action, especially climate finance, is, is very much, very essential. Therefore, their emerging presence and, and encouraging for the decision makers. So, so it will be very important in the upcoming uh, years and, and the upcoming year's COPs. What do you think about it should be the primary focus of COP27? since you mentioned all the achievements made in the COP26. Yeah, the the incoming Egyptian COP27 presidency has not presented officially its, its program yet. However, it seems already quite clear that COP27 will largely focus on climate change adaptation, loss and damage, and climate finance, as these are priority topics for developing country parties. And uh, the Egyptian presidency members often uh, emphasize even now that this COP will be an African COP. And in practice, that, that's what it means. From our side, on behalf of the EU, we admit the importance of the above topics. However, uh, for us, it will be always crucial to emphasize the importance of climate change mitigation and achieving the necessary level of ambition in, in terms of reducing actually the greenhouse gas emissions, especially by the large emitter parties. Of course, we aim to have a, a balanced agenda from this uh, respect. And and we also must keep in mind that with a successful mitigation, uh, that will also result in the reduced need for adaptation. So that that will be uh, certainly a, a priority for, for the EU team. Apart from mitigation, adaptation and finance topics, which we mentioned a lot, well, concerning COP27, we have positive expectations in the field of uh, climate education, training and awareness raising as well. That's also a negotiation stream. And 10-year Glasgow work program was adopted for, for that. And this field is called Action for Climate Empowerment, ACE in short. And the new uh, revised work program should be adopted during COP27 for that. So these are my initial expectations. We will see. No country today is immune from the impacts of climate change. What is your message to the Hungarian citizens with regards to fighting in climate change on an individual scale? Or in other words, what part can we play as individuals in preventing a climate catastrophe from happening in the near future? Yeah, the role of individuals is very, very important. Well, it's interesting that our, our ministry has actually conducted an online survey on climate change topics in late 2019, where we got the result that the general public in Hungary is very much interested in climate issues. And over 90% of the 200,000 respondents said uh, they would personally be open to change their lifestyle choices in order to protect the climate. So it, it was a great uh, result for us and a great uh, achievement. Also, 92% of these respondents said that they're really in support of climate neutrality 
long-term goal of Hungary. There was also another survey in 2021 where 95, more than 95% of the respondents uh, agreed that climate change awareness raising and education has to start at a very young age, preferably from early childhood. It is very crucial to understand that to raise the society's awareness to individual choices uh, contributes to climate change and to the fight, uh, and to the fight against uh, climate change as well. Climate consciousness is a key aspect when we are talking about individual choices. Being conscious about our energy use, our consumer behavior, and even about eating habits can remarkably reduce our carbon footprint and therefore the, the can lead to GHG emission reductions. I'm sure you have heard about the concept of uh, circular e- economy as well. And, and it also represents well that, that everyone can take part of this transition. Well, simply try to not throw away your old clothes, machines and electric devices uh, to the garbage, but try to find uh, ways to recycle it. Therefore, that materials can be used, uh, reused in the circle. Apart from changing the mindset and introducing sustainable habits in the everyday life, Perhaps the most impactful thing what we can do is to raise awareness of fellow citizens, friends, and even family members, for example. So yes, yes, the role of individuals is very, very important. Maybe that's why the third pillar of our climate strategy currently is the evidence raising uh, action plan. We, we also have a national contact point in this topic, and, and she's uh, regularly going to schools and, uh, and other institutions like, like uh, chambers of commerce uh, to, to make uh, presentations on climate action and climate policy. Given that many of our listeners are young students and mostly in the field of international relations, What would be your advice to the young people that who wants to pursue the career in the same field and directions as you do? Well, it's it's uh, firstly it's very nice to hear that uh, there there are young students with these uh, ambitions. My advice uh, to them would be simply to keep going and uh, follow their green dreams <laughs> uh, because uh, young, impulsive and enthusiastic professionals with a really climate conscious mindset, in my opinion, are all that today's governments, companies and civil organizations uh, need. Actually, our team in the Climate Policy Department is also also quite young. We have many young uh, professionals and, and uh, we are really enthusiastic to, to work with them, not only as the trainees, uh, there are some officers uh, already. Well, if I have to give an answer specialized for international relations students, As an international relations alumna, I would say that uh, for a nice career in climate policy, you should pay special attention at your English, EU institutions and decision making, UN modeling and also project management courses because this kind of knowledge, as, as I could see through the past uh, years, that will definitely pay off. Before we wrap up this podcast, Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? 
I think we could touch quite many aspects of climate policy and, and we could discuss many topics. I, I don't have anything to to add. I guess I, I just I just hope that your your listeners uh, became even more interested in in green issues, climate policy, circular economy, maybe even with special interest in international <laughs> climate issues. So just keep going this way. And uh, I don't know if you maybe you have some other specific questions. I'm I'm happy to answer if I can. Well, I, we actually don't have anything else, but this is certainly a very intriguing topic. Uh, this is Ms. Kovacs. Thank you so much for making the time for today and having such an amazing input in the field of international climate policy. And dear listeners, we arrive at the end of this week's podcast in which we had the pleasure to discuss the topic of international climate policy with the legal head of the Unit for International Climate Policy for the Ministry of Innovation and Technology. My name is Simon, and I have the pleasure to co-host this episode with Paolo. Thank you for being with us, and stay tuned for the upcoming episodes. International Diplomatic Student Association is Hungary-based student organization for university students interested in political science, multilateral treaties, and intergovernmental relations. IDSA podcast aims to educate its listeners on career opportunities to university students in Hungary, opening their minds to pressing social and geopolitical issues. The podcast is recorded with the support of Epper Radio.